David talked to himself and he said, Soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the health of thy countenance. Your countenance is the expression that's upon your face. That's your countenance. So that's why the Bible said the eyes of him who is joyful rejoices the hearts of others. Because there's something about that joy that shows in our countenance. And that's why David, who was cast down, and his countenance will show that. He said, soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the health of thy countenance. He will change your frown. He will turn it upside down. What happens when your frown is turned upside down? For real? Seriously? God wants to turn our frowns upside down because he wants to give us hope. That's what David was talking about. Hope thou in God, for he'll yet be the health of your countenance. If He won't disappoint you. See, the Bible said that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed. That means if you dare to keep your hope in the Lord in the time of your pressure, your problem, your heartache, your heartbreak, your challenges, your trouble, you will never be disappointed and ashamed that you put your hope in God and He's an unfaithful God and He let you down. Actually, one translation said, Hope will never fail anyone who steps out on it. In other words, by faith, you have to step out on it Amen. So faith becomes the substance of things hoped for. So hope is developed so that your faith can reach out into that that you're hoping for and believe God for it and not doubt him for it. Praise God. Amen. I want to talk to you a few minutes on some of these issues today because I have the same issues in my own life. I'm not here today uh, professionally. I'm here today because I'm called appointed to be here and anointed to be here. I used to think it would be prideful to talk about that, uh, and I used to deflect everything to the Lord, and I want to keep deflecting all the glory and honor to God. I am what I am by the grace of God, and nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Hallelujah. But when God puts his hand on you and God calls you to do something, then it's okay to admit that and actually declare that. Nehemiah, when he went down, he said, I told them of the hand of the Lord that was upon me for this good work. I want you to know that I'm not here in my own. I've not appointed myself to this. I didn't just decide to do this. I'm not here with my own resources to get it done. God put his hand on me. He sent me, and I'm here under his his will and his purpose and therefore we have his anointing to get it done praise god hallelujah well i'm still standing today someone sent an email to to uh anyway it came through our our church website then it finally got to me and someone wanted to know uh, if i was still preaching actually i could read between the lines they want to know if i was still kicking (laughs) amen they want to know if i was still alive Amen. I mentioned a preacher the other day to Brother Christella, and it's all right because some of us have been around a long time. And uh, I, I think it was Brother, because he's longer in the tooth than me, 
time-wise and age-wise. Uh, he's been around a long time, too, and I mentioned his name to Brother Christella and said, is he still alive? I mean, it's a normal reaction to some of us that have been around a long, long time and people haven't heard of. And they want to know, are you still preaching? That's what they ask. And number one, you're still around. Number two, are you still preaching? And I thought, if I'm around, I'm preaching. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. That's, that's part of who I am. This is not something I flip on. I know ministers who change their, their, their linguistics uh, when they pick up, uh, stand behind a pulpit, God becomes God. And everything is, you know, there's a change. And it's like you flip it on uh, for the service and you flip it off after the service. If you were to ride home with me today, you'd see I don't flip it off. She usually has to tell me to flip it off. She said, okay, you have preached. I listened. I took notes. So it's okay now. Now can we talk about, you know, just relax. Take it easy. Be, your, be yourself again. Hallelujah. Praise God. Joel chapter 2, verse 27 on the subject that God is continuing this week. God in the midst the secret of all spiritual blessings, secret of all of our help, is to recognize His presence with us and within us. With us and within us. With us and within us. You see, He's with us not when we sense His presence. He's with us because He's within us. If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian today, the Bible said your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, if any man hear my words and do them, I and my Father will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. Abode is not where you visit on Sunday morning, that you show up sometimes, uh, and sometimes you don't. Your abode is where you live, not where you visit. If I, if I have a, a chalet, in the, which I don't, I wish I did in the mountains, I'd love to go up while the leaves are turning to my log cabin up uh, terry used to have one of those he leased or rented he rented it had a stream behind it and michael goes to one with a stream behind it wow all by himself i wanted to i wanted to hide in the trunk and go with him amen and and uh, you know when he opened the trunk to get his bags out to say surprise <laughs> your pastor is here <laughs> Just wanted to keep an eye on you while you're out here and, and uh, make sure, you know, that you don't eat too much um, uh, trout. Uh, <laughs> amen. That's where you visit. That's a place you visit. God said, I'm not just going to visit you from time to time. I love it when we sense his presence in this room and he manifests himself to us. But he said, I'm not just going to visit you from time to time. I'm going to come and I'm going to I'm going to make my abode. Jesus said, I'm coming. When you receive me as your Savior, I'm coming. My Father is coming. And we are going to make our abode with you. And the kids are going to do something fun. And that will be more fun for us, I guarantee you. We'll all have fun because of that. Thank you, Sister Cristello, today. So he comes to live within us. So when I came in this room today, he came in this room today. When I go out of this room today, he's, he's not, he's not going to leave anybody in this room. If you're a Christian, he's going with me today. 
That's how he keeps the promise. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I will never, and it's in the emphatic, I keep emphasizing that, because that's important when you don't feel him, doesn't, that's not the fact, that's the feeling. And we all have feelings, we have emotions. When I don't feel him and I don't see any indication of, of any change, it doesn't change the fact that he is with me, because he lives within me. That's an awesome thought in itself, isn't it? That God, who inhabits eternity, who dwells, according to the Scripture, in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. Light of His glory that shines forth so powerfully that angels that minister in His presence, that were created to minister in His presence, were given three pair of wings. That's a pretty incredible thing. Every angel I've seen portrayed had, a, had wings. The angels that minister in his presence in the book of Isaiah, I saw the, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 60 says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I went into the temple, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train, literally his glory, filled the temple. He didn't look at that straight on. If he could, did, he would have died. He couldn't look at it straight on. And angels, celestial, eternal beings that minister in the presence of God. He said, I saw the seraphim. And they had three sets of wings. With twain, they did move. But with twain, they covered their face. And with twain, they covered their feet. Two of those three sets of wings was to cover their face and their feet because nothing even of a celestial being could stand in the presence of that kind of purity, that kind of holiness, and that kind of angel. The angels who never sinned still couldn't stand in that kind of presence because he's a God that dwells in unapproachable light. Now, here's what blows me away. This God, that is that holy. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you and me in our inward person so completely that this God, who angels have to cover themselves from the glory of His presence, has come to indwell you and indwell me. I use this illustration all the time because most Christians read over that or hear that and they sit looking like a calf looking at a new gate. What in the world is that? And most of us are more aware of the physical, material world around us than the spiritual blessing we have within. Amen. We're more in touch with the physical world than the spiritual world. And because of that, we're not in awe. We, we feel like God is way up there. We're way down here. And He's so far from us. And when in reality, He's closer than the person who's sitting beside you. When Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you, it didn't mean He's standing by your side. It means He's living within. There's a big difference in standing beside you and living within you. This is intimate. This is up close. This is personal. 
and the fact that that God can do this. And the Holy Spirit, let's get Him involved. The whole Trinity, the I and my Father. The, the question was asked, and I'm talking fast, but the question was asked of Jesus, how is it? Because everywhere He went, there was this press. Everywhere He went, there was a crowd trying to touch Him. Everywhere He went, there were people trying to get close to Him. Because He could heal anything. And He would heal anyone who looked to Him for it. He never one time said it's not God's will for you. To anyone who sought healing from Him. Now there's a lot of preaching today that will tell you it's not God's will for you. But Christ won't tell you that. The Bible won't tell you that. The Scriptures will not tell you that. No one. Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me whole. I will. If I can but touch his hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. The moment she touched, healing flowed from him. Never went to a funeral that he didn't raise the dead. He's an almighty God. And he's a good God and he's a gracious God. But above all, he's a holy God. He's holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. Angels have to shield themselves from His presence. And yet what has happened to you and me is so powerful. I worked with, I worked with Tampa Electric for five years. There was an incident when they call it cross-phasing. It's when you get two live wires crossing one another up on a pole. Both of those wires carry 7,620 volts. That will crystallize dirt. I've seen them fall while live before it kicked out a transformer. And I've seen dirt, sand, crystallize from the arc and, and the blast of that electrical shock and that electricity itself. And I was working under a pole, and two linemen are up there, and they accidentally did something that cross-phased. And when they did, there was this terrible sound, roar of a sound, and this flash of blue-white light. looked like a ball of blue-white light that engulfed them both. And they were both in buckets, working it with bucket trucks, and they both dropped down in those buckets. And we didn't know if they were hurt, if they were killed. if they. I was trained to override their controls, bring down the bucket and give CPR and pull someone out of the bucket. No matter how big they were, I was trained how to grab them by the belt buckle and grab them by the, by the shirt and yank them out of there. Actually, I was in a safety film that they showed for several years on the old projectors to everyone who got a job with Tampa Electric because I brought a man down who dropped down in the bucket, planned it, brought him down, pulled him out, and feigned CPR upon him to teach others what to do if somebody gets hurt on that pole. We didn't know if they were hurt, if they were dead, what happened, we knew that there was then, now there was nothing but a fog of smoke up there. And you could see just the top of two yellow hard hats squatted down because they dropped down in those buckets when it happened. And slowly they came up. And they were okay except their eyebrows were singed. We couldn't see that till they got down to the ground. But they were, we were just, everything's dead quiet. Because you know, what, what, what's going on? What's next? And they looked across at each other. 
And the one of them knew they did something wrong to cause this. They, some procedure was broken. By the way, this did not get talked about back at the yard. <laughs> this was our little secret. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. You don't want the safety committee investigating what you did wrong because you did something wrong. And <laughs> anyway, the one guy... He was white as a sheet. He looked over at the other guy and he said, try to act nonchalant. <laughs> act like nothing happened. You know, there's too many Christians today that are acting after what has occurred in our life. We're acting nonchalant. It's a given. It's no big deal. He's up in his heaven. I'm down here on my own. No, he's not up in his heaven. He's living in you. You shouldn't be nonchalant. You have resources that you're not tapping into. You have privileges that you're not acknowledging. You're living beneath your privilege as a child of God. And because you live beneath your privilege, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's the biggest deal there could possibly be. The big deal is not going to heaven the big deal is the holiest ones of heaven coming to indwell you right here and right now. Amen. Nonchalant Christians telling a gainsaying world, you need Jesus. When we've got Jesus and our countenance hasn't changed, our attitude hasn't changed, our hope in the time of trouble isn't evident you see, the reason when you become a witness where you can really share Jesus is not when you get the boldness to collar somebody, corner somebody, and tell them about the Lord. It's when they see something in you that causes them to ask the reason for your what? For your hope. The Bible said you need to be standing ready at all times to give an answer to all men for the reason... Of the hope that is in you. But if that hope is not evidenced in you, no one is going to ask, number one. And number two, no one's going to listen if you try to tell them. Because you're telling about something that you're not experiencing. Nonchalant Christians can't be like a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. Their light is under a bushel. They got a bumper sticker that says Jesus is the answer, but they got a countenance behind the wheel that says it makes no difference at all. It's supposed to make a big difference. Amen. How would you manifest yourself? How would you make yourself available exclusively to us with all of these people elbowing us out of the way to get to you? How will that happen? He said, if any man hear my words and doeth them and my Father's words, if you've got an attitude to accept his lordship and an attitude that says, I really want to obey him and follow him, I and my Father will come to you and we will make our abode with you. Literally within you. See, that's how that occurs. Bible said of the Holy Spirit, I won't leave you comfortless. That word comfortless 
it looks like a majority of Christianity fit that bill. Because comfortless means orphanous. Have you ever seen an orphan? Happy, carefree, joyous, with no parents, no one that wants them, no one that loves them. They've been discarded. They've been cast aside. They don't know where, how they're going to eat, where they're going to live, who will care for them. They are forlorn. They are cast down because they are orphans. And that word comfortless means orphanous in the Greek. Orphanous. It's where we get orphaned from. Right now. Everybody say now. now. Paul said now. 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 I preach and teach a message that I'll keep preaching till Jesus comes, living in the now of your salvation. This is not what's going to happen when you get to heaven. This is what is happening right here and right now. Now. It does not appear what we shall be. But now. We are the sons of God. Is that, is that something to be nonchalant about? This is, this is real. Now. Ye are the sons of God. God has no stepchildren, by the way. I was a stepchild. My, my, my stepfather didn't beat me. And actually, I was you know, glad to have him around because he was a heavy smoker. And, and uh, when I cleaned the ashtrays, part of my job, because they both worked, uh, everything that he didn't smoke down to where I couldn't get them, I grabbed and smoked it. Before he married my mother, he wanted to get in good with me, uh, you know, so he bought me a motorcycle for two hundred dollars. I had a nineteen fifty five BSA. I'm dating myself. I thought it was grand. Took Pamela for a ride on it. Boy, when I when I had her on the back You didn't you didn't know she was a biker chick, did you? She don't look like a biker chick. We went to a seven eleven to get a Pepsi or something and it broke down. You talk about cramping my style. I mean, you know, when you got your fox on the back of a motorcycle and she was an Indian, her name would be Smoking Fox. Uh, anyway, anyway, Elaine, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's been a long time. I understand. She's just kind of a, kind of a, <laughs> well, she was a Smoking Fox. Mike, you wasn't there. I was. I was 16 years old. Amen. <laughs> Me fist bump. I took her for a ride on the motorcycle and it broke down at the 7-Eleven. It broke down at the convenience store. I had to call my dad to come and get me and he brought a rope and put it on the motorcycle and pulled me on the motorcycle and the motorcycle kept wanting to go to one side or the other so I'm going like this back there trying to keep it from falling over and she's sitting in there with my dad and and that's the last ride we took in that BSA and I had big plans for me and her in that BSA I want you to know amen I had to borrow my dad's old Pontiac and I found out that's not bad either amen. <laughs> maybe that worked maybe it all worked for the best or depending on the situation broke down on our wedding night in the uh, everything breaks down i said i'm going I, I had i had enough money to get us 
I had enough money to get us hamburgers, and I went all the way to Brandon to the Sip and Smack. That was the big restaurant in Brandon, the Sip and Smack. And I ordered two cheeseburgers and two milkshakes and a large order of fries. And that took every penny that I had. This was our wedding night meal. And, and uh, got out and cranked up the Pontiac and it threw a rod. And my daddy had to come and get me and have it towed in. We never fixed it. It was too old to fix a 1954 Pontiac straight eight. What a car it was, though. Boy, that was a beast. Oh, it was wonderful until it broke. It broke. It broke. The motorcycle broke. The car broke. I, my wife is wondering where I am. It's a, and, and the waitress come out, and she said, Your food is going to get cold, sir. Is there anything I can do? I said, Listen, it's not the food, lady. <laughs> <laughs> this this is my wedding night. I'm not supposed to be sitting here broke down in Brandon when my wife is waiting in Sefner. I got to get home. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk, I'll hitchhike, I'll crawl on my hands and knees. But I got to get back to my baby. <laughs> so God has been good. Hadn't he been good to us? Amen. <laughs> Well, what'd you do on your wedding night? You didn't get excited? You mean you can actually get excited? Brother Taylor said, you better believe it. You ain't got the only smoking fox around here. Can you say amen? God is good. God is good. We've got to get rid of this. We've got to drop this thing. We've got to understand we're not a bunch of drones down here. We are the children of the Most High God. How will you manifest yourself to us? How can you be exclusive to us, intimate with us, personal with us, with a crowd around you every time you step out the door? They're all over you. He said, if any man will hear my words and my father's and doeth them, I and my father will come to him and make our abode with him. And then he said, I will not leave you comfortless, orphanous, but I will give you another comforter. Want to want to define that other comforter. In the actual Greek, it would be one just like myself. And he will be with you. And he will be in you. And he will abide with you forever. That's how Jesus keeps His promise to never leave nor forsake because the Holy Spirit comes to live within to manifest Father, Son, and Himself. And if we can continue to be nonchalant, we don't get it. Two things have to happen. You have to have a revelation by the Holy Spirit because your mind will blow a fuse. Your natural mind, my natural mind, it don't mean a thing. But if I see it more than the logos that's being taught and the logos, the word on the page, and it becomes rhema, then it, there's, once you have a revelation, then you have a realization. You begin to realize it, but you can't realize it without a revelation. And you don't get a revelation without the Holy Spirit. Flesh and blood did not reveal Christ to you. You heard a preacher preach. And you may have come to Christ under that ministry, but that minister did not reveal Christ in and of himself. 
Jesus asked Peter, who do you say, who do men say that I am? They had all kinds of, of ideas. Some thought he was Elijah, reincarnated, come back. Some thought he was John the Baptist raised. They had all kinds of opinions and speculations. And he looked at a fisherman, not a theologian, but a fisherman. And he says to the fisherman who had become his follower, who do you say that I am? And without skipping a beat, he was so convinced because he had a revelation. He was so convinced of who Jesus was. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and thou art Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. This is a revelation from the Father who is in heaven, and He has revealed to a clay vessel on earth the truth about Jesus. And you see it, and because you have a revelation, you have the realization, and you're so convinced... You don't even speculate. You don't say, well, a lot of people say this, and I kind of believe that, and I kind of go with this one. No, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by the way, the Catholic Church would, would say that St. That Peter was the rock that the church is built on. But the Scriptures say, upon this rock, thou art Peter, thou art Petros is the Greek. And upon this rock, Petra, one is a pebble and one is a granite mountain. Peter was the pebble. Christ was the granite mountain. And upon this granite mountain, well, what is it? It's the revelation of Christ by the Spirit of God. I'll build my church. And the gates of hell, because this is a spiritually built church. The spirit of darkness and the spirit of the enemy cannot prevail against it. You see, a man-made church is no match for Satan and his minions. But a church that God has established, that God has built. I preached in Haiti. I didn't know anything about the... I knew there was a voodoo culture. And it was steeped in superstition. But voodoo is not just superstition. It's real. And I was preaching on a Sunday morning to several hundred people. In the evening, there were several thousand. But in the morning service, there was mostly Christians coming. In the evening, a lot of people came to the Lord. By the way, in the evening service, there was demonic uh, demonstrations. Demons would act up in people while we proclaim Christ. You could see... I've seen someone fall to the ground and looks like they became disjointed and move like a serpent on the ground. Now, that's an incredible thing to look at. And you need to know who you are in Jesus and who Jesus is in you. Or you just want to take off. Say, I'm going back to Tampa. Amen. That don't mean there's no people with the devil in them in Tampa, but they, you don't see that manifestation like you do many times in these places where it's open like that. And, and we, it, it's, it's just an amazing thing that we've got all of this spiritual stuff going on, but Christians living as if there's no supernatural, there's nothing to get excited or enthused about, nonchalant, 
in, in the face of all of this reality spiritually. We're coming up on All Hallows' Eve, a, a, a celebration that the Druids started back in. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But I'm going to tell you something about the Church of Satan. Anton LaVey started the first church that was recognized as a church as much as any church in America. By the way, his daughter came to Christ. Anton LaVey's daughter got saved. So did the atheist son, Madeline Murray O'Hare. Her son got saved. You see, God is greater. If you can grow up in a home that worships the devil himself and come to know Christ, that means the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Jesus is raised from the dead. There's more power on our side than there is on their side. Can you say amen? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But let me tell you something about their side. They don't doubt the supernatural. They're not nonchalant. They're tapping into power. Someone said the church of Jesus Christ is weak and anemic by and large because she lives below her privilege of power. How many can agree with that? If there's weakness and a spiritual anemic is because we're living beneath our privilege of power. Jesus said, Behold to His followers, I give unto you power over all of the power of the devil. If that power lays dormant in our life, He said, I'll give you power and authority. Because power without authority can never be used. I have authority over the devil. And so do you. If you are a Christian, you have power and authority. You are authorized to use the name of Jesus against the enemy. And there's power in that name. Amen. I said there's power in that name. That's why it wasn't religion, some broad brush of, of religion like we have today. So many religions, when they saw the power of God manifest in the book of Acts and they saw the lame man leap and run, they were so intimidated by the powerless religious system. They told the disciples, do, said they would have killed them. But they feared the people, and they could not deny that a notable miracle had been wrought upon the lame man. You see, the powerless church is no representative of the kingdom of God. But when mighty things were occurring, supernatural things were occurring, the Bible said the kingdom of God has come near to you. Can you say, man, He's manifesting His will. Thy kingdom come, not when Jesus comes to rule and reign, but right here and right now, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this very earth, just like it is in heaven. Pray it, He said. God wants to do it. 
we get a building fund and we build this great edifice and we say, look what God has done. But someone comes down with a need in their body and there's no, there's no anointing oil, there's no prayer for the sick. God doesn't do those things anymore. He could if he wanted to, but no one knows what he wants. And we get vague and we get crazy and we get a powerless church, but we got a powerful enemy. We're told to take the whole armor of God, for we do not argue against flesh and blood. We can't fight spiritual entities with flesh and blood. But we argue against, listen to this, we argue, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Having done all means that what He has done at the cross is enough for us to take our stand in the finished work of Jesus with His armor on us. We're not going out to get the victory, to see if we can get the victory. We are going out to demonstrate a victory that has already been won. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Can you say man? In my name you shall... Tread on serpents, glory to God. You shall cast out devils, hallelujah. You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Hallelujah. hallelujah. I was dying of cancer, the nonchalant, deadpan church. They would have given me a great funeral, and they would have sang. You know what they would have sang when I was eight years old, dying of leukemia? Gathering. And everybody would have cried. And I'd have been pushing up daisies. I wouldn't be here preaching to you, declaring God's faithfulness. I would have been dead. Doctor said, stage his leukemia is in. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. There was not even any bone marrow transplant technology in the early 50s. They told my parents he's going to die. When he does get to the dying part, we can get him on an emergency basis because they were poor and had no insurance into the county hospital. And they can give him morphine, help him to endure the pangs of death. But you know what they did? There was a church in Tampa. They had service seven days a week. The Tampa Revival Center. Brother Joe Woodward was the pastor. They had an evangelist preaching. They always, they had one after another because it never stopped. Brother and Sister Hodges attended that church. I saw them both home. Amen. I, I've, been the, I've been the pastor on call to the Hodges family and the Hodges, down the line. I saw them both home. Sister Hodges was there in that church praying every single day morning they had a balcony in that building in tampa time i go by that building i think about how mighty and awesome god is she said we were up there praying in the balcony for that evening service and she said we we heard the most beautiful choir singing that we ever heard and we thought they must have brought in singers that are going to give a concert tonight 
And they stopped their praying and they looked over the balcony up to the platform to see who was doing the singing. And there was absolutely no one in the building. And they all began to speak in tongues and glorify the Lord because they knew this was a manifestation of the supernatural presence of God and the angels of the Lord were in that building and in that room. Hallelujah. And it was that kind of atmosphere that my dad and mom took a hopeless case, which was a young man dying of cancer, amen, of leukemia. And they took me, they, they took me to that church and there was an evangelist, his name was Freddie Gray, and he was from Texas and he wasn't a highly educated man but he was a highly anointed man. I'm going to tell you if you have a need in your life, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke, not some theological degree. You can have so many degrees, they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know God, amen, they that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. And that's why Simon Peter, a fisherman, had a revelation that couldn't be taught by any human being, but can be received by the Spirit of God Himself. Can you say amen? This is incredible stuff today. Because without a revelation, there will never be a realization. And you will just try to process this in your natural mind. And the Bible said the carnal or natural mind is enmity against God. God is a spirit. Can't be perceived by the natural mind. Amen. So your intellect can't embrace that. That'd be the finite trying to embrace the infinite. So don't feel bad about it. Pray for a revelation. Don't say, if I can't figure it out, I can't believe it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. The thing about faith is it gives you understanding. Through faith, we understand, Hebrews 11, that the worlds were framed by the word of his mouth. You can't figure that out. Any other way. But by faith, you can. I don't have a problem with the Big Bang Theory. God said, let there be a firmament. Bang! There was a firmament. But it's because God said it that it happened. That's why we stand in awe. That's why His Word is so awesome. This same word is what we're reading from. That's what we're quoting. That's what we're teaching from. This is not dead letter. (laughs) It's quick and powerful. Quick means alive. Quick in the Scripture, Greek means alive, living. It's a two-edged sword. Quicker than any two, it's it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Bunch of hippies back during the the Jesus movement when there was bold witness through a lot of young people. Amen. They were down in Miami witnessing. They couldn't get people to come and listen to them, tell them about Jesus. So they took a Bible. They put it in a burlap bag. They stood on the corner in some bad part of town in Miami. And they all stood around it, about eight of them stood around that bag, 
and one of them reached down and opened the bag. No one's paying much attention, but the person who opened the bag said, It's alive. It's alive. And another one came over and looked in to see what he was looking at and said, It is alive. And another one came over, and they're all Christian trying to get people to come so they can tell them about Jesus and say, It's alive. And then they're all saying, it's alive. I can't. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. And pretty soon people got inquisitive and what's in that bag? Whatever it is, it's alive. (laughs) Amen. I want to see what it is. And about 24 people showed up and then they reached in and pulled out a Bible. I said, this is the living word of the living God. Let me tell you what God can do for you. They had an audience because it's alive. And you know what the Bible said? In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation where we generally speaking, the church is not living in that, that powerful witness that we need to be. We're pulling our heads in because of the darkness, pulling our heads in our shell, all kinds of opportunities to be a witness, but we pull our heads in like a turtle that's intimidated. You know it's the truth. Church-going Christians get out on the job, they pull their head in, you can't tell them from anybody else. That don't mean stand up on the table before you eat your peanut butter sandwich and Pray out loud. It means just simply have a better attitude and a more hopeful attitude and a more boldness than the people around you living your life with confidence and letting them see when you go through things, you have somebody with you. You are not an orphanous. You are not forlorn. You are not abandoned. I will not leave you in that condition. If you're in that condition, it's not because God didn't make a provision. Because we don't have the revelation and we don't have the realization. And we're nonchalant Christians. In a gainsaying world. Talking about a powerful, personal God. That they can come to know. This is, this is a time like no other time. Because the falling away has begun. There's a lot of phony Christians who have never really met the Lord. Tares are among the wheat in every congregation everywhere. You say, we're too small. No, we're not. There's none too small and none too large. Satan sowed the tares for a reason. God knows the difference. He's not fooling God. But what he's doing is undermining the authenticity of the faith. Because the church-going people that walk out and do not live for Christ are hurting the testimony of Jesus, even in the true believers. You walk out of here and you're just like the world about you. People look at the church suspiciously. Tell evangelists that have so many followers and they're so visible when they fall, they broad brush every preacher everywhere. And right now, a preacher of the gospel, as far as the polls go, the Barna poll is one of those polls that deals exclusively with the Christian community. And it is a very accurate polling system. They said ministers now hold the same credibility with the general public 
as a used car salesman. Now, there are Christian used car salesmen. I know one. And I take my car over to Stingray Chevrolet to this particular man and, and to be worked on. And he's very honest. And he's a church-going guy. And he, he's not ashamed of that. And I appreciate that. So I'm not broad-brushing that either. But as a rule, there's not a lot of respect for somebody telling you this car belonged to a little old, a little old lady. It's going to be all right. It's going to, it's, going, it's going to be okay. No one saw that. And, it, and if you all will just hush, we'll be all right. It's going, it's going to be okay. I've learned how to do this without getting detected. Amen. <laughs> smoking fox. She really smoking now. But it's not that kind of smoke. Amen. It's coming out the ears anyway. This car belonged to a little old lady. Yeah, right. Why have ministers lost respectability and credibility? Because television brings a visibility. And when they drop the ball and when they go off the rails, everyone is broad brushed by their failure. We're the only Bible many people will ever see. Your living epistles. You're written and read you're written and read by all men someone said one time your life is speaking so loud i can't hear a word you're saying because when our life doesn't match our faith our fidelity to god doesn't match our faith then we're telling people what christ can do for them and we don't even revere him we don't even try to follow him and I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about the simple, fundamental devotion to become a disciple of Jesus. He didn't so say, go and make church members of all nations. Get contributors and partners for your, your vision. He said, go and make disciples unto me of all nations. And there's a prerequisite for a disciple. If any man would be my disciple... Let him deny himself, not indulge himself, but deny himself. Let him take up his cross. And by the way, taking up your cross is not the persecutions that come because you're following Jesus. Because that's still about you and your feelings because you want to be accepted more of the world than you do by the Lord. It's not about persecutions. It's about you and I personally crucifying my old sinful self in my oh your flesh i don't care how you dress it up i don't care how religious you become the apostle paul said in my flesh after all of my credentials all of my experiences all of my salvation and sanctification in my flesh there is no good thing and when people looked at Jesus who was sinless after the flesh, when they didn't see Him as the sinless Son of God, but just as a, a, a highly sanctified rabbi, and they came to Him and said, Good Master, Jesus, who was God incarnate, God in flesh, said, There's none good but my Father which is in heaven. Amen. So if you think you're good enough, 
forget about it. There's none righteous. Oh, and that's reiterated. Because someone thinks they are or they know someone who is. And Jesus is saying everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. Everybody needs forgiveness. There is none righteous. He said the righteousness that man can produce at his best in the eyes of God is as a filthy rag. A filthy rag. I gave all this to the poor. I do all of these good deeds. He said, filthy rag. It's nothing but filth compared to the demand of a holy God. Well, how can we meet that demand? We can't in ourselves. God can't accept imperfection because He's perfect. We can't produce perfection. So we're at an impasse unless He does something to cleanse us, to make us acceptable to Himself. Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5, and gave Himself for it, that He might present it unto Himself. We can't present ourselves to Him that way, but He, working in us and working for us at the cross, He will present it unto Himself what kind of church? A glorious church. Not having, not even a spot. Not even a wrinkle. Not even anything that is imperfect. Did you know when we go up to meet Him and He comes to get us, something's going to occur. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, corruptible, He's going to put on incorruption. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. That that produces iniquity in us is not going to be producing anything. We shall be changed. Until then, we're in a process of progressive sanctification. But then it will be done and over forever. We'll know Him as He is, for we shall be what? Like Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. And mortal... That that can die and deteriorate will put on immortality because he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Listen, in the midst right now of a wicked, and I have messed with my thumb until, anyway, it'll be okay. I just won't uh, get it on anything. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, you shine as lights in the world. You don't pull your head in. You acknowledge who you are in Jesus, who He is in you. You have a countenance that says, I'm living my life confidently. Whether they, whether whoever's president, I'm praying and my prayer counts. And I have a Father in heaven that rules and reigns. Praise God. Whatever the little God does in, in North Korea with his nukes, we have a God, amen, in heaven. Thank God it's not up to the politicians what happens to America. But we've got some power down here. If my people, which are called, see, we got the power. Look at somebody say, we got the power. Say power. We got the power. 
We got the power. We got prayer power. We've got authority to use the name of Jesus Christ to get the will of God done in earth as it is in heaven. And if we keep pulling our head in and don't acknowledge the authority that we have, then the devil is going to run roughshod over the church in spite of the church. But we've got the power. We've got the upper hand. We've got a God who is not just mighty. He is almighty. Can you say man? And we've got a Jesus. Jesus who said, therefore, all power is given me in heaven and right where you're living right now. Hallelujah. And if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. Hallelujah. Because my People have power. And my people have authority. And that scripture I quoted was Old Covenant power and authority. It has been amplified. It has been multiplied in the New Covenant. Can you say, man, we've got the keys to the kingdom of God. What we bind on earth... What? What? You said that without being... What we bind on earth, what? You mean God Almighty is going to work in concert with us? This Almighty God said, you got the key. Use it. You got the authority. Use it. You want to know who's in charge on a loading dock? Don't look for a big badge or a big hat. Look for a big set of keys. Can you say amen? The guy that's got the keys to all those doors is the guy what's in charge. Bad linguistics, but good truth. Behold, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom of God. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Praise God. That means you, you, you matter. You're not some infinitesimal little piece of dust down here with, that can't make a difference. Can you say, man, you're here to make a difference. You are salt and you are light. And that makes a difference. Unless the salt loses its saltiness or the light is put under the bushel. Because no man takes this brilliant light and puts it under a bushel, but lifts it up that all in the house might see. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. What a mighty, gracious, and good God that we serve today. It's come to indwell us. If we can get rid of the nonchalant Christianity and get some boldness back and some authority back. It is time to stop and I'm going to preach to Pamela all the way home. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm nowhere near done. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Look at her purse. See if there's earplugs. There may be earplugs in there. Amen. Sister Pamela, I'm going to ask you to pass the plate today. To receive the offering. In just a moment, we're going to close with a song and, and to receive the offering. And I want to thank you for being here. You can tell 
in my heart, there's a message that God has placed within it to get out to the church, not just this church. Amen. So if you're in, deep into religion and all the trappings of religion, you will never find satisfaction here. There was a dead religious system in Jesus' day. And it was the dead religious system that wanted Him dead. More than Pilate, more than Caesar, was the priest and the high priest of a dead religious system. And if the church doesn't come alive again and remains a dead religious formality where we entertain, by the way, you can tell how dead it's become, not because there's not great singing, great orchestration, great soloist, many activities, but because we're supplanting the real presence and power of God with entertainment because we can't draw people with Christ. And we can't draw them with the Word of God. And the anointing is not present. The songs are not sung to God to lead people into the worship of God. They're songs sung to the audience to solicit an applause, a hand clap, a foot stomp from the audience. And we enjoy good religious entertainment. But when we replace worship of God with religious entertainment, we will never experience the presence of God manifest. It's always vertical. Praise is for Him. It's exclusive. Hallelujah. It's not to be marketed. That's why the early Jesus movement, they were afraid of the record companies because they knew to make the money for the record company, they would be required to churn out albums, whether it was worshipful or not, or really word-based or not. And lyrics became so vague you didn't hardly know, but the beat was strong enough to hold your attention and entertain you. And when God shows up and we stand in awe of Him, we fear the Lord, deep reverence, Deep reverence. We don't need a hip-shaking, shimmying, soloist and call that worship. Because the attention is not on Him. It's on them. We're stimulating people's emotions. And flesh and blood does not reveal Jesus. Only the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. 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 I didn't read the scripture, but I will in closing. And ye shall know, Joel 2.27, that I am in the midst of Israel. He's always wanted to be in the midst, not a, a distant God, but a God in the midst of His covenant people. And that I am the Lord your God and none else. There's no one else, no one above me, none beside me, none beneath me. I'm adding that. And my people, because I'm in the midst of them, will never, ever be ashamed. Never, ever be ashamed. That means He will come to their aid. He will hear their prayers. He will provide for them. He will protect them. He will set them apart. Actually, He said He would make us His peculiar treasure. 
through covenant Israel in the old covenant. In the new covenant, the same God said you are a holy generation through the apostle, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why? Because God has set us apart unto himself. Hallelujah. Jesus came into this fallen world, this sinful and rebellious world, this world controlled by Satan and inhabited by the slaves to sin to bring salvation and thereby restore fellowship with God. Matthew 1, 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted God with us. That's got to make a difference. Can you say man? Hallelujah. What more should we say to these things? If God be for us, He's not just for us. He's with us. And He's not just beside us. He's in us. So, Brother Taylor, I can't be nonchalant. They want me to stand behind the pulpit and stay dignified. They don't need me to even preach for them because that kind of church, as far as I'm concerned, is dead before the service starts. They better have a good choir. They better entertain because they're not going to challenge. There's going to be no change in the people. And when they get out, the sins that the world is enslaved by enslaves many of them. And the truth is evil spoken of because of them. Tares will always go back. No matter how far forward they may seem to come religiously, they always end up back. The proverb becomes true. The dog has returned to his vomit. He went back and picked up the sins that were once laid down because no one denied themselves and took up their cross and made a quality decision to follow Jesus. And if you ever get truly born again, you'll want to follow Jesus. Can you say, man? And if you're sitting here today and you're discouraged in following the Lord and looking back, Jesus said, remember, Lot's wife, completely delivered from the city of destruction, did not have to die, did not have to be made an example of so that we could talk about it in the 21st century. Did he judge her just for looking back? No, he knew She left in her body, but her heart was still in Sodom. And if you're not willing to make a clean break with the world, you cannot follow Jesus because self will be the ruling element in your life. And there's a prerequisite for making disciples, not just making it so easy that you don't have to commit to anything, just... Come to church one time, say a few words, and go out and live your life like the rest of the world. Make no mistake about it. He that committeth sin is of the devil, period. First John, declaration. That doesn't mean he who slips and sins and repents. No, it's he who committeth. If you can live in habitual sin, you're of your father the devil, his works you are doing. Oh, but I joined the church. I was baptized when I was 12. doesn't matter what happened when you're 12. It's what's happening now. If it really happened when you're 12, then you're not back out there serving the devil. 
He that committeth sin, unconvicted, unrepentant, habitually, is of the devil. Period. Drop the mic. End of story. There's no defense for that. Except at funerals. There are funerals where a drug addict and a drug pusher killed in a drug situation, unrepentant, supposedly came to Christ at 12 and is preached into heaven. Living that lifestyle. The Bible said that's not true. If any man be in Christ, he's the same old devil-inspired, devil-enslaved, devil-bound, and devil-blinded person. No, he is not. No, he is not. No, she is not. If any man be in Christ, and by the way, you don't just join the church, you get baptized not just in water by the church, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? If any man be in Christ, what happens? He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He has a new, she has a new value system because we have a new master. We're marching to the beat of a different drummer. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Can you say man? And we're here to be light and salt to the world. And that's why God hasn't taken us out of the world yet. Because He wants to save this whole world. And He wants a witness. And He's coming soon. And you know there are going to be people that are glad to see us go until we're gone. But when, they're, when we're gone, when we are gone, and He that letteth the Holy Spirit in the believer, in the church, the true church, when we're gone, all hell will literally break loose on this planet. So, I don't mind being ostracized by the world in order to stand with God in this last closing day. Amen. I don't go to be embraced by people when I was bivocational for 12 years. I, I go as a Christian without apology. Deal with it. I don't live in the closet as a Christian. I came out. Can you say, man, I came out. I didn't get applauded by the world for coming out. That's okay. It wasn't the world's applause that I came out to get. I came out to declare I belong to Him. I belong to Him. I belong to Him. I bow to no other God. I follow no other sovereign. Hallelujah.